Welcome to Journey to the State, and I'm so glad you joined us today. When I first had the harebrained idea of starting a podcast, I, I wrote a pretty extensive list of people that I wanted to have on, and they were all people who have made music that's been a part of my own life for a long time, and it's been meaningful to me. My guest today was on that list, so this is a pretty cool day for me. Before we begin our conversation, if you could leave a review or a rating in Apple Music, it goes a long way with helping more and more people discover this podcast. So it'll take you two minutes and I'd be ever so grateful. I can distinctly remember walking into a, a, a music store in LA in the early 90s and seeing the cover of an album called The Neverland Sessions by a band called The Prayer Chain. I hadn't heard of them yet. The cover caught my eye and I, I picked it up and looked on the back and I saw that Steve Hindelong from the choir was involved with that and that it was recorded in Neverland Studios which belonged to, to Derry Doherty and so I knew that if Steve and Derry were in, involved in the album that it had to be good. So since then my guest has been a part of making music that's been really a, a big part of my own personal soundtrack for many many years. So it's a real honor to welcome to the artist throne today multi-instrumentalist singer, drummer and songwriter Wayne Everett. Wayne thanks for joining me. Wow, thank you for having me. That was quite an introduction, Brian. <laughs> thank you. It was very generous. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, you've it's true. You've been part of bands that I've I've loved for, for many, many years and I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking that with you. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about your own musical journey. And then we're gonna listen to a couple songs from from some recent projects. So how's life treating you these days? It's good. You know, here in Los Angeles, we had a, a, a really brutal summer heat-wise. We had like about a month and a half of just like nonstop, like 90 or 100 degree heat. So it was it was a bit much even for here. <laughs> but uh, we're over that now. And I think fall is going to, it's going to show up one of these days, I swear. Yeah, I, I feel you, man. We were, you know, I'm just a few hours north of you and we're usually about 10 to 15 degrees hotter. So we had some 115 days, and uh, I'm with you. I'm ready for the the 90 days to be over. I'm, I'm ready for some 50s and 60s, so hopefully they'll be here soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so let's let's pan out for a minute. I want to just take a quick overview of, of kind of where you got started. I know you play, obviously, guitar and drums. Which did you pick up first? Actually, the first instrument I tried to play was the ukulele. Oh, yeah. Because I think I, in, in my lazy teenage mind, I was like, well, it's only four strings versus a guitar that's six, and so maybe it'll be easier <laughs> to learn. Yeah. So, 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 I, so I learned, you know, like basic chords and stuff on the ukulele, and then I picked up uh, the drums, and uh, luckily I had a very patient mother who worked at home, and so she uh, would basically put up with my <laughs> drum practicing at all yeah. times of the the day on the weekends and stuff like that and so uh i was really lucky to have that that support there yeah then i learned how to play guitar i think basically just through friends really uh, you know just picking up um how to play certain chords and just yeah. watching videos and things like that or or like music videos they didn't have youtube then but uh, you know right. just watching you know performances and stuff and and just asking my friends who played guitar about stuff. And I still can't play guitar or, or the ukulele, or some would argue I can't play the drums either. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, for me, it's just a, ma a means of, like, songwriting and being able to, um, you know, just to express something. You know, I was really sure. influenced by the punk rock movement and, and the Sex Pistols and the Jam and, and uh, these bands that, you know, they were able to express themselves in, you know, fast, short, in simple ways and so that really appealed to me you know and at the same time i was getting into pop music too and you know bands like abba and beach boys and stuff and and so some of that stuff you know in the case of abba and the beach boys you know very deceptively <laughs> not simple seemingly very simple but very much not agreed um, but, absolutely uh, so it was 
for me, um, the Sex Pistols were really, you know, the band that kind of said, hey, you know what, you don't have to be a maestro in order to express yourself in music. And so that's kind of, um, I mean, it's no excuse to, to not you know, try to be better at your craft, but, sure, um, sure. you know, for me, it's it's just been something that I have strived to do since since then, and I'm, and I'm still learning, and I'm, I know I'll always be learning because it's, it's truly endless. I really, really appreciate that, and I love the fact that you have, on one hand, the Sex Pistols with that moxie and that attitude and that brashness, and then the Beach Boys, which is the epitome of, you know, clean cut and carrying that Southern California vibe, which I pick up in all kinds of music that you've written. So I think those are really, really interesting musical palette to be able to draw from and then everything in between, which I'm sure you loved. Were there early on, were there any drummers that you felt, you know, particularly like, man, this is this is a guy I want to learn to play like? Did you have anybody like that? Well, I was a big police fan, so Stuart Copeland was my, one of my idols. Yeah. You know, he's just so, I mean, just the energy, the how solid he was, just how innovative he was. Even by today's standards, I you know, I, I see very few rock drummers that are able to work a hi-hat like he does or mm-hmm. think of, of ways to, to put, you know, using some of that like reggae influence to put like, you know, the kick on the two, on the two and the four instead of, yeah. you know, a snare and, and different, you know, techniques of like kind of blending, you know, pop or rock music with, you know, the reggae beats. But I loved, you know, so many bands of that time. I was really a huge U2 fan. And so oh, yeah. I really liked how, how Larry Mullen really had he, had, he had parts in the song, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. it was like they were specific parts and they developed um, in a way that, that as the song moved on and I really, I really caught on to that and really, uh, really liked that a lot because it seemed like it was a real contribution to the song as a whole, you know, not just yeah. repeating everything the whole way through the song. I also liked heavy metal. Um, mm-hmm. And so like Lars Ulrich was a, was another person like that at the time. Oh, yeah. Everybody who was a teenager at that time, like who was in the, into the drums, you know, like Neil Peart from Rush oh, because yeah. He was just like this, you know, kind of godlike figure in the world mm-hmm. of drumming. And so everyone wanted to be able to shred like him. Well, I could never do that. <laughs> so right. so uh, I had to choose a simpler path. But um, but it was still awesome to listen to his drumming. And again, like that kind of the sense of song and the way the song develops. And I think almost all good drummers know how to do that. And you can hear it in all different styles, too. That's really cool. Yeah, you mentioned Neil Peart. I... Rush is probably the band that I've seen most in concert than anybody. So I, I was able to see him many, many times. In fact, got to see them their second to last show before they wow. kind of called it quits. Yeah. My, my brother wow. actually went to the show at the forum, their last show. He, he went hmm. to both shows and uh, he, my brother's probably seen them, I don't know, 25 or 30 times, but that's yeah. more than I have, but yeah, I'm a huge Rush fan myself. So, the Prayer Chain, that band had a really unique sound. And it's interesting that you talk about the influence of the punk bands because the sound that you guys were making was was kind of raw in, in a lot of ways, not in a, in a bad way, but in, a, in an energy way and just a, an, an approach to the music. You guys were doing something that was really non-existent in the genre. Your your contemporaries in the alternative space were making some good music, but but you guys stood out and you sounded like no one. That's not easy to do. Um, how did the uh, how did the prayer chain become a band? How did that happen? So uh, Tim and Eric went to uh, college together. They were in school, and um, and then I think. I think Andy answered a, an ad in like a, you know, music magazine, you know, they had a couple of drummers maybe filling in or something like that. And I happened to go see a show where they were opening and uh, Tim, the singer was like, Oh, Hey, you know, uh, you know, thanks to so-and-so for filling on the drums. I was like, Hey, these guys are pretty good. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, a, I was like a, I was like a freshman in college or something like that. And, 
so so I got an audition and uh, and I I got in. So that was nice. cool. For me, that what was fun about about uh, that band was we were we were trying to be like we loved like so many different kinds of music that didn't really fit well together. Like we like the Mission UK, um, mm. and they're kind of like you know kind of angular sort of halftone sort of thing, minor key mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but then we also like the Stone Roses, um, oh, yeah. and then we also like absolutely loved Jane's Addiction, and so we tried to be like kind of this weird, I guess, combo of those, and it just sort of came out in the songs. We weren't really trying to do a specific thing. We just, mm-hmm. hey, let's try to do this kind of, kind of a song, and let's 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 try to do this kind of a song, or let's you know, here's a riff, or here's a thing, and then you know, later on, uh, it was like, oh, here's a beat. Let's let's do something on this. And, yeah. So it was really free flowing. That's really cool. It reminds me of something that that Giddy Lee from Rush said once that when when you're trying to find your sound, you inevitably you want to play like bands or musicians that you look up to, but inevitably won't because you're you're not them. But that's how you kind of find your own sound. So I'm not surprised that you guys drew in all of these influences and it kind of all got mixed into the pot so to speak and helped you guys create really a, a unique uh, a unique sound so that's that's pretty cool that it came about that way so 93 you guys put out shawl and that's that's really an, at least in my mind it's kind of a landmark album it's more powerful sonically i think than neverland was that a conscious decision you guys made to kind of go bigger so to speak or was it just kind of natural for the direction you guys were heading for me, it was really natural just because uh, we were just doing that same process. We, ju- we were just like writing songs that we wanted to write. And then, you know, now it's time to collect these songs and put them on a record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the songs were written at the very beginning of the band and some of them were written, you know, right before recording. And it was just kind of like, you know, which songs do we want to put on this thing and, and, and do in, you know, in this you know, different kind of a studio setting, whereas like the Neverland sessions was, not demos, but like it felt a little bit more demo-y in the way that we were kind of uh, approaching it. We were just kind of just throwing everything out there and then seeing what sticks. Whereas Shaw, I think we were just like, let's pick the songs that we think should be on a proper album and then let's yeah. do them in the proper studio. Not in a proper studio, you know, never mind, of course, the proper studio, but uh, Doom was like a, a, a an actual budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you guys going back to the Neverland sessions a little bit? How did how did um, Steve uh, Hindelong get involved with you guys? So I think the story goes that Dan Michaels from the choir mm-hmm. saw I don't know if he saw the Prayer Chain play or Andy's previous band. I think it was Andy's previous band okay. play, and said, "Hey, I really like your guitar playing." And then uh, and he invited Andy to to work on some stuff for him. Um, and they did that. And then I think then later when Andy was in the prayer chain, I think he asked, um, Dan, like if he wouldn't mind asking Steve or Derry to, to come and and see us, you know, rehearse and, you know, if, uh, if he, you know, would offer any advice and all that kind of stuff. And that was how Steve ended up, you know, producing those songs. You know, it was the way that, uh, that Steve kind of came into our lives. And for me, he's been a really important musical mentor for me ever since then um we really bonded over of course our, our you know drumming backgrounds and also yeah. kind of songwriting um right. backgrounds and so it was a it was a it was a really great relationship from from day one that's really interesting and i think it's cool because i consider you guys very similar drummers in my mind you, you're hmm. very similar to each other well, he's certainly influenced me for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, yeah, it, it's just to me, you're both you're both creative drummers, and I, I just really appreciate that. And of course, Steve is a, a, a great lyricist and songwriter, and um, yeah. So that's really cool. I know that, uh, and of course, you paid tribute to him in that in that great song, um, "Hey Skinny." That's that's really really cool.
So I had the um, the pleasure of being at the 25th anniversary of Shaw at the House of Blues, and I met you, as I mentioned in our pre-chat, and uh, helped Tim uh, do some crowd surfing, uh, which was, <laughs> that was a first for me. <laughs> but I have a, a, there's a funny story about that show. You know, when it's, when it's an open floor, you know, standing venue like the House of Blues, I love to get there early, find my spot, plant myself. So I got there with my brother, and the place is filling up. It's it's almost showtime. And I swear, it was like Andre the Giant comes in and stands directly in front of me. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost 6'2", and this guy was so tall that his butt was pressing up against my stomach. I'm like... <laughs> wow. So I thought he was joking, and he, he but he wasn't budging. So I'm like, dude, are you kidding right now? And he turned around and he said, what? <laughs> I'm not kidding anyone. <laughs> so wow. I thought, man, I said, I was thinking, I'm, I'm going to get pounded into the earth right now. <laughs> so, fortunately, his friend uh, talked him into moving. and um, But that show almost went sideways uh, before it started <laughs> because the sky oh, stood right in front of me. Like, I wouldn't have seen anything. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty funny. So interestingly, you're, you're actually the third person that was on stage that night to be on my podcast. As I mentioned, I've had Steve on cause Steve played with, played percussions with you guys that night. And then, um, earlier this year I had Holly Nelson on when her last album came out. And then actually this is kind of cool. I've got uh, Eric Camposano coming on in December. So pretty, I'm working my way across that stage. <laughs> Yeah. So what was it like for you to kind of revisit that album, that that band, that that period of time all these years later you had done so much musically since the prayer chain, you know, kind of hung things up. What what was that like for you to kind of revisit all of that? Uh, well, it was difficult, really difficult because <laughs> I hadn't it? played that kind of music in a long time. And, yeah. you know, by and large, I haven't played a lot of drums since then either. So for me, it was really difficult just to learn the parts again and to be able to, to be able to execute that stuff. Because, like, you know, I love, you know, talking about drummers I really loved, you know, I was a huge fan of, of Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins oh, and yeah. Steve, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. I mean, I love those drummers, those guys, also great, great drummers but they're just at a different skill level than me. <laughs> and so for me, you know, like with the, some of those shawl songs and, and that the early time of the prayer chain, I was trying to really bring some of that same kind of energy, even if I couldn't fully pull off some of those licks. Uh, but then, you know, you fast forward, you know, 30 years or whatever, it's like even yeah. harder to pull off those licks. Sure. So I, well, for, me, it yeah. was a, for me, it was very, it was very difficult because I was, I was struggling to like regain my, my form and to be able to try to, to pull it off. You know, um, it was, I mean, it, it was, a, it was a fun experience, like, you know, hanging out with the guys and stuff and, um, and, uh, and doing the show and stuff. But, um, but the, the, the preparation was, was pretty difficult for me anyway. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, it's different for a guitar player. It's different for a bass player, but drums are so physical and this, those songs, they rock. I mean, they're, they're moving and it's a, it's a lot of drumming. It's a lot of drumming. So I could absolutely understand how it would take you some time to work back into that. That's no, that's no joke. That's, and, and I thought you did exceptional. I loved that concert. It was so fun. It was a great, great night. Oh, thanks. I'm glad. Yeah, it was, it was very, it was, uh, it was challenging for sure, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've always wondered, so what is, obviously you, you have a day job and yeah. I'm curious, what, what's that like to be a musician, to be part of a band that people really love? I mean, really, really love like, like the prayer train and you play a show to a packed venue, house of blues, awesome stage, really cool venue, but then effectively go to work the next day, so to speak. What, what is that like? Is it, is it kind of weird? Do you know what I mean? Like, because people like me, we would never experience something like that, but how is it like to go from being on stage and people yelling and screaming and having a blast to being a, a working Joe the, the next day? 
Yeah, it's it's fine. You know, it's not a it's not a problem really. I mean, I feel really lucky that I you know am able to make music and people still care about it. You know, or if I'm able to do a show and there will be some people who show up. You know, this you know, last um, March I, I went out to to um, South by Southwest not for music but for my work, <laughs> my day job work. And uh, at the last minute, I did like a, you know, like an acoustic um, living room show. And, and there were a bunch of people that came out and some people drove quite a ways to come to see it. And I was really, really thankful for that. You know, it was yeah. really nice of them that they cared enough to come and, and drive all that way and, uh, and, you know, spend their Saturday night with me. And so it was, uh, so I'm really, I feel really fortunate, you know, every time I get the chance to do something or make a new record or, or, or play a show because it's it's not something that everybody gets to do and so right. you know yeah i've got to i've got to do other things in order to survive financially but yeah. um, but at least i can still do this and uh and it still means something to other people and beyond just me so it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty special that's really really cool now kind of simultaneously with the prayer chain maybe in the the latter part of the run you guys had as a band you got connected with Starflyer 59, Jason Martin's band. How did how did you get hooked up with uh, with Starflyer? Well, I want to say that I, I want to say that maybe we met at the at the Green Room, which was a studio in Huntington oh, yeah. Beach. Yeah. That I believe it was. We met the Starflyer guys somehow through the music scene. I can't remember if it was that we had played a show that they yeah. had played at, or uh, maybe like a festival if, or something. Yeah. Uh, no, this was before I think that they had really, you know, I think their their first album had just come out or something. Mm -hmm. And I had been doing some, some of the background vocals that I'd done with the prayer chain had kind of that sort of Beach Boise kind of, you know, thing that, that yeah. we were really influenced by, you know, the way that mm -hmm. bands like Stereo Lab kind of incorporated that stuff into their yeah. music, and so that was another big influence for us at that time. So we were trying to do something like that, and so I think I think Jason initially had approached me about like, hey, you want to you know do put put on some of those like I can't remember. He's got some he, he has some funny phrase for it. I can't remember what it was. Some, some, yeah. <laughs> some of that like some of that like pixie dust on this, or I don't know what he would, would term yeah. it. It wasn't that, but it, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, he, right, right, right. He said, "Well, you know, you want to put some of that on my next record or whatever." And so, so he asked me to pr produce the vocals on, uh, and then you know, sing some songs uh, that end up being the uh, Starfly 59 Gold album. And then I started playing drums with them uh, after that. And then I think I did one tour where I played. The drums for both Starflyer and um, the Prayer Chain, wow. and that was a and that was a, a particularly difficult tour. But it was oh, um, yeah. it was at, at many points super super fun, and and I was stoked to do that because it was you know two groups that I of course love the music. And one of my favorite bands to come out of that gentle time frame is is the Lassie Foundation. Now this band would see Eric Camposano, who was of course with you in Prayer Chain, um, playing bass. He would switch to guitar, and you'd stepped away from the drum kit into the lead vocal spot. What was that like for you to move from behind the safety of your of your drum kit and up to the microphone? It was completely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. It was. It was absolutely. I had no. I really didn't. hadn't thought it through. I really didn't think it through at all. It was just a really, it was just like <laughs> not uh, not the smartest move, but but Eric and I started the Lassie Foundation because um, um, he had some song ideas and wanted to do something that was very different from what the Prayer Chain had done and tonally and like um, and uh, sonically, mm -hmm. and so so we did those songs and initially we wanted to have somebody uh, we wanted a, a female singer because at the time we also really loved bands like Curve and medicine, you know, these, um, these bands that kind of had this cool noise to them, but also had like this kind of beautiful sheen to them as well. And yeah. so, so we were trying to do something like that, but we didn't really know the right person or couldn't find the right um, vocalist to do it. And so we just figured, well, I'll just, you know, I'll sing because Eric plays better guitar than I do. And, um, and then I sing a little better than him. So, so that was, that was the deciding factor, which again, was not like really thought through all that much because <laughs> when we played our first show, I was absolutely horrified because 
it's yeah it was it was it's scary to go from being behind the kit and having your band in front of you you know to like just being kind of like the the main focal person it's something that i've never been comfortable with i don't think but particularly then it was really difficult yeah i can imagine that that's a big big change now i thought oh and i just i just got my lassie foundation shirt uh, about a month ago which i'm which i absolutely love thanks for glad you guys put out some new shirts so i thought we had kind of heard the last of the lassies unfortunately in 2008 and then out of the blue comes this new ep the cave sessions what spurred uh, you guys to jump back in the studio and kind of re-record live some of these fan favorites we did a kickstarter because we thought well you know maybe it would be cool vinyl's kind of you know cool or is still cool you know came back and Mm -hmm. you know maybe vinyl is cool again and so let's do um let's see if anybody would like us to print some vinyl and so it it wound up being really good uh, successful and so we're we're putting out our, our first two albums out on vinyl Pacifico and uh, in California, but then we knew it was going to take like a year for the vinyl to get uh, manufactured. So we thought, hey, let's. What if we just popped into the studio and just tried to, you know, do some like live in studio versions of some of these songs and just mm-hmm. see what happens, just so that folks have something to listen to in the meantime. Yeah. So yeah. so that was kind of the impetus behind it, and so we went over to um, the Cave Studios here uh, in Los Angeles. And just went over there for a night and got almost everything in that one evening. Came together really fast, and and I think we were all really excited about how fast it came together and how how great it sounds. Let's listen to a cut from it, and I and I love the EP by the way. Let's listen to. I would say this is probably one of my favorite Lassie songs. This is "I'm Stealing to Be Your One in a Million. Wayne Everett on vocals, of course, from their album "The Cave Sessions" by the Lassie Foundation. Let's listen in. Yeah. 
honestly, yeah. Wayne, I, I hear some definite Stone Roses influence in this song. I don't think I'm imagining that, am I? Wow. Stone Roses. Yes. I hear oh, it. You do. Wow. I'm Yeah. I uh, I <laughs> wow, you really stumped me there. I haven't I haven't listened for that yet. I guess there I guess there could be some, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I noticed it when when the song first came out, you know, on the original album, but I was a little bit late to the Stone Roses. I didn't I didn't really discover them until the early 2000s. So when I when when the Cave Sessions came out, I had just been listening to the Stone Roses not long ago, and I thought, whoa, okay, I I can hear there is some flavor in there that has some definite uh, overtures of some love for the Stone Roses. So, which is really cool. What what can you tell us about uh, about that song? Oh, thank you. The, the Stone Roses thing is something that I uh, have not have not heard yet, or hadn't really noticed, I should say, because. Obviously, there was such a huge influence on me and Eric mm -hmm. that, you know, even, you know, I mean, that's how it works, right? It's like sometimes it's not even like conscious that you're right. Thinking, oh, Absolutely. It's be kind of a Stone Rose disease part. But and then, you know, it's it's awesome when, you know, you hear uh, people have different interpretations of what your songs even mean. You know, sure. like sure. I love that that part of music, too. I, I remember I talked to Micro one time and, and he told me, like, he, he said, well, it's cool because sometimes I'll write a song and, and uh, I'll think it means one thing. And then like years later, I'll, I'll hear it again. And mm -hmm. it'll, I'll be like, wait, this is actually means something totally different. And, uh, and it's just something that happens with music. You know, your, your emotional situation changes, your mm -hmm. perception changes, and you have a different sort of view on something that you thought you had such a, uh, a, a focused, you know, control over or something. And so I, I think that's like part of the, the great things about music, the, you know, just how you really don't have as much control over it as you think you do. And that's right. something that I've been trying to learn lately. I heard a, an interview recently with um, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, and mm -hmm. he was talking about how, you know, as a songwriter, he, he often tries to, to, to kind of take himself out of that control seat and let the music be what it needs to be. It's almost mm -hmm. like taking your ego out of it and try to, don't try to control every part of what that song is, is trying to do because it might mm -hmm. be trying to do something that you're not, you're not allowing it to do, you know? Right, right. So, because you have such a singular focus on what you want it to try to, to be when it really should be something not quite that. Yeah. So uh, for me, that was a really powerful message. And so I've been especially lately trying to, to work that into my songwriting process. Mm -hmm. So now I digress and I go back to, <laughs> I'm stealing the year <laughs> one in a million. That was uh, just a, one of the first songs that Eric and I put together when we were just writing songs and he had this chord progression and had some lyrics and, and we thought about like what, what kind of vibe it should be. And when we recorded in the studio, it was, we really didn't, didn't feel like it needed to have any drums, you know, which felt kind of odd. And there's also no bass on it either. Oh, um, yeah. It just felt like it, once you did that, it became something else. You know, it mm -hmm. became something that was a little bit too heavy, which we ended up doing um, when we re-record it for the cave sessions. And mm -hmm. when we do it live, of course, we do add the drums and stuff because we right. feel like we want to have that energy. But yeah. it was, um, for us, it just felt like the right thing to do to keep it kind of, you know, a little bit softer, a little bit mm -hmm. more you know, that, that kind of, you know, kind of the innocence and the sincerity of it, hopefully was coming through with that. I think innocence is a good word. I, I just love the lyric. It, it's really, really well done. And and I love the guitar lines into, in there too. The, just that lead line throughout, it, it's just so well done. I, I just really, really love that song. Thank you so much. You know, I know Eric, he, you know, he did all that stuff and, you know, Certainly, we were in a we were in a very um, medicine kind of vibe at that at that time. I think if you listen yeah. to a lot of medicine and then you listen to Lassie Foundation, you'll hear a lot of some some really uh, really strong influences there. That's super cool. Now you released your first solo album, Kings Queens, in two thousand two. What was that like for you? Did you do all of the writing for that, or did did you have people kind of in, in write with you? What what was the writing process like for that when you 
decided to, you know, I'm going to put, put out something under my own name. What was that like? Well, I started writing some songs. I mean, I had been writing stuff, you know, on and off throughout the prayer chain, but, you know, none of it I really, really loved. Then uh, at a certain point, I, I really wanted to do something that was, I don't know, just something that didn't feel right for the Lassie Foundation yeah. um, or something that was just a little bit... I don't know. I I had a more uh, going back to that singular vision. I had I had a more of a singular vision <laughs> for better or for yeah. worse at the time of what I wanted to do, and I just wanted to see if I could do it. You know, I wanted yeah. to see if I could make a record. You know, I can play some of the instruments, but not all. And at the time, my friend Levi Nunez, he's a guitar player, really amazing guitar player. He was like, "Hey, man, I've got some music. If you want to, you know, you want to collaborate on on a couple of tunes and." Wow. And so we did, and, and uh, I, I thought those those ones turned out great, and um, I'm really happy with that record as a whole. It, it's something that isn't exactly of its time, I think. I think in some ways it, it holds up pretty well. You know, yeah, uh, I, do too. I think a lot of the music that I've done, kind of, you know, with with bands, some of it kind of lives in a certain time, and and mm-hmm. you can recognize it as that time. I think King's Queen has some stuff on it that's uh, that you know it, it kind of holds up even still today. I think so. I'm, I'm really proud of that. I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I find you to be a a really really great songwriter. Thank you. It it seems like you went through a stretch where maybe music creation wasn't so much of a focus. You just weren't maybe putting out a lot did you continue writing through that period even though you weren't maybe releasing lots of projects or playing in bands for a while and stuff yeah i was writing off and on yeah it was it was around that time that i was i had to really focus on like you know earning a living (laughs) that was that was a big focus for me at the time and so i wasn't as active um, as i wanted to be and i was you know trying to figure out how to make all that happen Last yeah. Foundation, we did an album called Face Your Fun. And so a lot of the mm-hmm. songs have that kind of, you know, that, that aging rocker kind of thing. And, you know, but I did keep writing and stuff after that. Mm-hmm. And then around like towards the end of that, I got onto kind of like a role creatively, I felt like. And then mm-hmm. um, by the time I had moved back to L.A., I was feeling like maybe this should be uh, more than just an EP. And so some of the songs that ended up on the record uh, called Two Ghosts, which I, mm-hmm. I put out in the perfect time. It was in April of 2020. That was the oh, <laughs> perfect boy, <yeah>. release date. <laughs> I already had shows booked and stuff. Oh, and, man. Uh, yeah, that was that was not the ideal timing. Yeah, the songs on that album, some of them were from demos that I had started in like 2002 or 2004. And wow. I you know, gradually either you know um, abandoned them or had... Uh, some of them had stayed and I reworked some of them, totally reinvented some. Mm-hmm. And then uh, others I wrote really shortly before recording. So it's kind of a weird project because it was recorded, written and recorded over like 18 year period or something like that. I need to work a little bit faster, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember it was maybe 2016, 2017. I was putting together a tribute album for the choir and it was a mix of professional and some not so professional recordings but I remember reaching out to you to see if you wanted to contribute a song as in like record a choir song and and let us put it on the album and he said well I've I've got this song that I've written about Steve for an album I'll be releasing and you're welcome to to use that and so you sent me Hey Skinny and which was very, very generous. It was a few years after that. When did Two Ghosts come out? What year was it? Was that 20? That was 2020, you said, right? 2020, yeah. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a few years after that that you put out Two Ghosts. And we'll talk about that here, and we'll play a cut from that album here in a second. To, to me, as I mentioned earlier, your, your writing sounds very Southern California to me, which is interesting because you wrote some of that while you were in New York. So maybe this is my projection but I even hear maybe some of the, the Laurel Canyon sound, some of that 60s and early 70s great singer-songwriter writing. I hear really some strong influences or echoes of some of that great music in a lot of what you're writing. I hear it a lot in Two Ghosts, which is really uh, an incredible collection of songs and do you hear do you hear what i hear like some of that strong singer songwriter influence in that in that album yeah i think so i 
so one of the songs called Walk of Fire was an idea that I had started or I'd written in like 2006 mm-hmm. and it was a totally different type of song. It was like almost a dance, dancey type of song, like a Manchester, mm. you know, dancey yeah. type thing, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays kind of thing. Right. And right. as the years went on and I tried to kind of fuss with it a bit and then I brought it to my friend Jim Mills, who's an amazing um, singer, songwriter, producer, engineer. He has his, his own project, his own band called Extra, which you should go check out. And it's oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's really, really cool. And Jim actually <laughs> was living in Laurel Canyon uh, at the time. <laughs> really? That's funny. He, yeah. And, and so, so he agreed to produce a couple of songs for me. And he chose that particular song, but he said, hey, let's do it in a totally different way. And Mm. he pushed the song in this direction that was totally different than what I had envisioned for it. Um, But I think it wound up way better than uh, if I had if I had just like driven the boat the way that I wanted to drive the boat. So, well, that's the bonus and the beauty of working with a producer. So you have someone that's that can throw ideas and just say, let's let's try this. Let's see where this goes. And then sometimes it's just, it's gold. So that's really cool that you had him. Let's listen to a song off your second solo album, Two Ghosts. Let's listen to uh, The Smallest Earthquake.
Very very cool song. What what can you tell us about about this one? The direction and you know how it kind of came into fruition. Is this one that you had written uh, a while back? Yeah, this was one that I've I'd had for a while. It was coming out as like almost like a country song, you know. And I didn't know mm. why because I'm not a particularly a, a fan of country music. But the way mm. that I always heard the song, it felt like it kind of had like this sort of kind of rolling bass line, like a country song, you know, yeah. and. I don't know why I was I was doing that, but it just felt right for it. And so, yeah. when I brought the song to Frank Lenz to produce, we wound up taking the instrumentation in a different direction to kind of take it out of that kind of country feel. Like we mm-hmm. used keyboard bass for it, and using just some different some different instrumentation and some different treatments. Right on. Well, it's a great it's a great song. I love it. And this to me, this whole album. Thanks is just really, really good. As I mentioned, I, I just, I love your songwriting and it's just very melodic, very, your sense of, of melody, it just resonates with me. And I think that's, to me, music always starts with melody. Everything is bonus after that in my mind. So when I hear a strong melody, I'm sold. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care what style of music it's from. So I, I just, I really love this album and encourage everybody to check it out and I'll put all the links where people can find that in the show description. So what is next for you musically? You have any aspirations or are you just kind of uh, chilling? You doing some writing? What, what's going on? Well, part of the Lassie Foundation's Kickstarter, we are putting out an EP of all new songs. So we're working on that right now. And so that'll be happening as soon as is feasible. Jeff, our guitar player, is on tour of the Smashing Pumpkins right now. So we're not going to see him for a little while, <laughs> but we're trying to get as much done as we can in each other's absence. Do you guys have the writing done for those songs or where does that stand? It's a kind of different stages of completion. I think we have like right now, I think we have like three songs that are pretty close to being done Ooh. in terms of like their, their writing and some, and some recording. And then we'll probably do like either two or three more. Um, nice. And those are also in kind of various states of completion. I think people will be stoked. I mean, uh, they're a, it's a it's a another kind of evolution of our sound. I'd say the thing that's probably closest to is probably probably the cave sessions because it's it's probably those sort of sonics in some ways. Yeah. We've got like kind of um, the lineup of the band that was at the time of Pacifico, and right after that when we did um, I Duel Sue and um, El Dorado, it's kind of like that yeah. era of the band with Jason 71 on bass, Frank Lenz on drums, and then Eric on, and Jeff on guitar. And it's an exciting time and, and everybody's really excited about it. As a fan of the Lassies, and I don't know how I missed the Kickstarter, but I, I did, but I'll, I'll be, I'm sure you guys will order extras and so I'll be making sure I get in on that. And uh, so it's really cool that you guys have new material coming out. That's That's really, really exciting as a fan. So I can't wait to, <laughs> to hear, hear, hear how it turns out. Yeah. So let's talk about how people can find your work and support you. I know you've got a website and a, a band camp page and I'll link all those. Is that probably the yeah. best place to, to connect and, and pick up your work? Yeah, probably Bandcamp. We have, we have a, a site that we have not updated in a long time. So we usually, we use like Bandcamp and then we're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Of course, you can find our stuff on Spotify and all the streaming services. Mm -hmm. We're slowly um, remastering our whole catalog. And so next up, we're going to release the El Rey EP um, pretty soon. So that's coming. And then hopefully after that will be the I Duel Sue um, Mm -hmm. EP that we did or split album that we did with the band Duralux. And then yeah. after that, I think maybe we'll have El Dorado LP. And uh, I'll put all those links where people can cl- click and you can buy downloads, which I always encourage people to do. It's how you support artists these days. Streaming makes money for the streaming companies and not the artists. I like, love to encourage people to swing through Bandcamp, 
buy a download. It helps the artist and that helps them to be able to make future music. So really want to encourage people to do that. So lastly, Wayne, if, if a young guy or young girl um, comes up to you and says they're interested in being a songwriter and asks you for advice, what, what do you think you might share with them? I would say do what you want to do and uh, say what you want to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to get back good. to the Mamas and the Papas song reference there. <laughs> no. Um, um, it's Laurel Canyon all over again. What you want to do? I know. You said you said you said you had mentioned echoes. Something about echoes, and I went. I was about to say echoes in the canyon. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's nice. a documentary about the. Maybe I'd say, listen to as much music as you can, write mm-hmm. as much music as you can, and live a fulfilling life, and mm-hmm. tell us all about it, because everyone's got um, an experience. And one of the funnest things about having friends, one of the funnest things about going on tour is having stories and creating memories and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and having a, a, a fun story to tell uh, someone at a card game. Tomorrow night I'm going to have, I'm going to play cards with Jason Martin and Eric Campuzano and, and Andrew Larson and um, Jeff Cloud. So it's kind of like a Starflyer 59 semi reunion over cards. Yeah, but, um, that's really cool. But these are the kinds of things that, like, you know, go out there and and make memories and tell us about those experiences through your music. So don't uh, hold back. I guess maybe is the the bottom line. Some good advice for an upcoming songwriter. So thank you for sharing that. And Wayne, thank you so much for joining me. It's an honor and a pleasure to to chat with you today. Thanks for taking the time, Brian. I really appreciate you uh, letting me come on. Yeah, and I really appreciate that, and it means a lot to me, and uh, I just am so grateful for your contribution to my own uh, musical soundtrack for my life, and so thank you for that, and thank you for listening, everybody out there, and if you love Wayne's music like I do in all of its various iterations, share this episode on your socials, tell friends about it, and any kind ratings or reviews you give are always, always appreciated. So keep your bags packed and we'll see you down the road on our next journey to the stage. And that's a wrap.